Hello, everybody. Uh, and Kia Ora. Um, so our webinar today uh, will describe the development, testing, and evaluation of a proposed Australasian transition from steel W-beam barriers to concrete barriers. Um, almost 400 people are registered for today's session, so welcome to everybody and thanks for joining us. My name is Ekaterina. I'm a communications officer at Austroads, and I will be moderating today's session. So first of all, I would like to acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. I pay my respect to elders past, present and emerging. I also acknowledge the Treaty of Waitani and Maori as the original people of New Zealand. A little bit about Austroads. Um, we are the collective of Australasian transport and traffic agencies, and our focus is to support our member organizations to deliver an improved road transport network. Um, the project that we are focusing on today was delivered under the Road Safety and Design Program, which is managed by David Boberman. Um, a little bit of housekeeping for today's session. Um, so today's presentation is pre-recorded and it will run for 40 minutes and then we will have a live Q&A session for 15 minutes with our presenters. Um, you can download the presentation slides from the handout section of your sidebar, which you will find on the right-hand side of your screen. There's also a question section there, so please use it to send us um, your questions for the Q&A at any time during the webinar. Uh, if you could also name the slide number that your question relates to, that would be very helpful for us to answer your question as best as we can. Um, you can also use that same question box if you have any technical problems, but just a quick tip, if you lose sound or your picture freezes, um, the issue is most likely with your connection. So leaving the webinar, closing the browser and rejoining the session um, using your registration link usually helps. Um, the session is being recorded uh, and we will let you know when the recording is available on our website. Um, and also if you listen to podcasts, um, you can find Austroads in your podcast app. Um, so our presenters today are Dr. Rod Troutbeck, um, Dr. Daniel Nash and Jade Hogan. Um, Dr. Rod Troutbeck is a principal of Troutbeck and Associates. He has been a researcher at the Australian Road Research Board and a professor of civil engineering at Queensland University of Technology before consulting. Rod has multiple industry awards and has published a number of publications on roadside safety dating from the early 1980s. Um, Dr. Daniel Nash uh, is a manager at the Queensland Department of Transport and Main Roads and he has nearly 22 years of professional experience uh, with a diverse career across different industry sectors ranging from engineering consulting to public service to academic lecturing. Um, Daniel has completed numerous um, academic publications in fields such as road traffic noise, road safety barriers and vehicle crash dynamics. And Jade Hogan is a manager at Transport for New South Wales. Jade is a civil engineer uh, with 20 years of professional experience in the road design field. She has worked um, across both the public and private sector. Jade chairs the um, Austroads Safety Barrier Assessment Panel. Uh, that assesses the crashworthiness and sustain, uh, suitability of road safety uh, barriers, systems and devices uh, for deployment on roads managed by Australian and New Zealand road agencies. Um, so we will first hear from Jade. Uh, she will talk uh, about the Austroads Safety Barrier Assessment Panel and its involvement in the project. Then Daniel will take us through the project's scope and objectives followed by Rod, who will uh, focus on the literature review, current practices, testing, and the recommended design. After the presentation, uh, Jade and Rod will take questions from the audience. Unfortunately, Daniel uh, could not be with, uh, with us here today. So if you have questions specifically for Daniel, please let us know and um, we will pass them on to him uh, to respond after the session. So uh, welcome to you all and um, it's over to you, Jade. Thanks, Ekaterina, for the introduction. Hopefully everyone can hear me. Um, and welcome again, everyone who's listening into today's webinar. Uh, as Ekaterina mentioned, my name's Jade Hogan. I work for Transport for New South Wales, but I'm also the chair of the Austroid Safety Barrier Assessment Panel, which I'll refer to as ASBAP for the remainder of the webinar. I'm here today really just at first to briefly set the context of the project up to its conception, and then to discuss the role and involvement of ASBAP in the project's life cycle. 
So for those who might not be aware, as you can see on the screen, ASBAP is a panel of state and New Zealand road agency representatives who meet under the patronage of Ausroads. The primary function of ASBAP is to assess the crashworthiness and suitability of road safety devices and make recommendations to the road agencies for deployment across Australasia. I guess the concept of ASBAP is that there is a strength or rigour in a process uh, that utilises cross-jurisdictional uh, experience and decision-making. Um, that ASBAP concept isn't, however, necessarily new and it's, um, ASBAP has existed in some format, I would suggest, for more than a decade. What has changed, I guess, over that time is the key objectives under which ASBAP operate by. And that is that ASBAP has moved from being a group of people who solely assess road safety devices to a group of people who also discuss best practice, publish technical advice, meet with industry, and in this instance, support research projects. And that's how the transition project, next slide probably Ekaterina at this point too, thanks. And that's really how the transition project, I guess, came to exist. During the testing standards change for the safety devices and the move to more and more proprietary based systems, ASBAP continually noted the remaining need for a transition between steel rail and concrete, and so recommended that Osroads manage a project to investigate and design a public domain transition. So as you can see on the screen, the project was managed by Dr. Daniel Nash from the Department of Transport and Main Roads in Queensland, and Osroads engaged Dr. Rod Troutbeck from Troutbeck and Associates to undertake the body of the work both of whom will provide more detailed information momentarily in the pre-recorded presentations. The project was reviewed in three stages, initially by ASBAP to approve the outcomes, and then for acknowledgement and endorsement by the Safety and Design Program Manager, David Bobberman, and then by the Osroads Board itself. So with that, I think we can start the pre-recorded presentations, Ekaterina, but just to remember, please do submit your questions and that Rod and I will be live after the pre-recorded sessions to answer them for you. So I will talk to you then. Thanks so much, Jay. And I'm going to start playing the recording. Hello, I'm Daniel Nash, and in the next few slides, I'll be presenting to you the circumstances that made this project essential and its scope and its objectives. So to understand the scope and objectives of this project, we should go back in time to the year 2018 to see what was happening at that time in the road safety barrier industry. Firstly, in the year 2018, the Australian and New Zealand Standard 3845 titled Road Safety Barrier Systems and Devices had been updated three years earlier in 2015. The updated standard set the Manual for Assessing Safety Hardware, otherwise known as MASH, as the industry standard for crash testing. MASH replaced the NCHRP Report 350 Crash Testing Protocol, and due to the changes in crash testing protocols, it meant that road safety hardware previously crash tested may not pass current standards. Secondly, due to the evolution of crash testing protocols and standards, industry was also evolving. There were an increasing number of modern steel beam road safety barrier systems being researched, developed and approved for market release. Also, the new Australian and, stand and New Zealand standard 3845 did not contain any deemed to comply public domain systems. And thirdly, there were ongoing questions on how new steel beam systems could be connected to other existing systems, like rigid concrete barriers. There seemed to be no indication of any proprietary-led development of steel beam transitions to rigid barrier. Fourthly, it was found that all Ostroads member organisations had different approved designs for steel beam to rigid concrete barrier transitions. And finally, Ostroads and ASBAP recognised that there was no research and development being planned or undertaken by individual road authorities in transitions even though transitions are an essential component into a road safety barrier system. Ostroads and ASBAP recognised that private industry and individual road authorities were not conducting research and development on road safety barrier transitions. Consequently, Ostroads recognised that there was a significant need for a research and development project to fill in the gap in knowledge and improve the safety of road users across Australia and New Zealand. The fact that there was no consistency in designs was also seen as a problem in moving toward complying with the modern crash testing protocols and standards. Consequently, the needs for the project were twofold. Firstly, consistency in transition design was needed across Ostroads members. 
And secondly, confidence was needed that public domain transitions would satisfy current Australian and New Zealand standard 3845. Considering these, Austroads and ASBAP initiated this essential research project in transitions from steel W-beam barriers to concrete barriers. The purpose of this Austroads project was to produce an Austroads Safety Barrier Assessment Panel, ASBAP, accepted public domain transition between steel beam and rigid road safety barriers assessed against current standards. In light of the needs of consistency and confidence in transitions between steel beam and rigid concrete road safety barriers and the purpose of the project, the scope of the project had five main parts. Firstly, the scope was to conduct a literature review of both national and international knowledge in transitions and their design features. Secondly, based on the literature review and a design for a harmonized transition system was developed. The harmonized design aimed to take into account the best of local design components, local manufacturing, and Australian and New Zealand road conditions. Once the design of the transition was completed, the third stage in the scope was to crash test the, the design in accordance with the MASH protocols. The fourth and fifth stage was to analyze and report the results of the crash tested design, establish a set of recommendations for Austroads members, and finally disseminate the results. This webinar is part of the dissemination of knowledge acquired from the project. I will now pass this presentation on to Dr. Rod Trapbeck, who will tell you all the details. Thank you, Daniel. My name is Rod Trapbeck and I was a consultant for this Austroads project. In this section, I shall describe the outcome of the literature review. When joining two barriers of different strength and flexibility, there needs to be a transition. This slide diagrammatically illustrates the elements of a transition and was first published in the 1999 edition of the Australian and New Zealand Standard 3845. There are multiple places where the stiffness changes along the transition. For instance, at the connector piece between a W-beam and thro-beam barrier, and where the post spacings have changed. However, all of these can be considered collectively as a transition. And this is how I'm going to view it here. The elements of the transition are then the W-beam to thro-beam connector, shown about the centre of the left centre of the screen, sections of thro-beam which may be nested, that is one beam placed behind another, about the right of the screen, and the end connector, which allows a thrive beam to be connected to the concrete barrier. The length and embedment of posts are varied to increase the transition's lateral strength near the concrete barrier. It is important the transition is not too short. The fourth edition of the Ashto Roadside Design Guide indicates that the length of a transition should be 10 to 12 times the difference in lateral deflection. A four metre transition accommodates a difference in lateral deflection of between 350 and 400 millimetres. In 1969, Eric Nordland and others at Caltrans or the, the California Department of Transportation concluded that the bridge approach transition can be achieved through halving post spacings, increasing post sizes, structurally having a structurally adequate connection to the bridge end post these notions hold today. The Ashto Guide for Selecting, Designing and Locating Traffic Barriers was published in 1977 and has this diagram of a transition from a G4 system with wood post to a concrete barrier. Note the posts were closer near the concrete barrier and some were larger at two being 250 by 250 millimetre Douglas fir posts. This is in line with the recommendations of Eric Nordland. The 1989 Ashto Road Sign Design Guide included this transition, which was tested to NCHRP 230. The four posts close to the concrete barrier were at quarter spacing, the next three at half spacing, beyond which a standard barrier system was, was installed. There are a couple of concepts incorporated in this successful design. The end of the concrete block is curved away from the road, thereby reducing the potential for the vehicles to snag on the end wall. 
A second rail was installed directly onto the posts and concrete barrier. It was also attached to the rear of the sixth post. This transition was tested at the Midwest Roadside Safety Facility in Nebraska. There were six posts at quarter spacing, then a further three at half spacing, before a standard W-beam barrier. It used a single throw beam with the top of the beam 804 millimetres above grade. As you can see from the photographs at the bottom of the screen, the vehicle was smoothly redirected and it passed NCHRP 350 Test 321. Blockouts. Midwest Roadside Safety Facility were the first to use rolled hollow section blockouts in a transition. They were cut at an angle so the top of the post could be lower than the thry beam. You can see that from the photograph in the centre. The view on the right shows an I-beam post and blockout in a transition. On impact, the blockout tends to fold over and allow the beam to move further rearward. Using an RO section prevents this action. Ron Feller at the Midwest Roadside Safety Facility was successful in developing a transition to meet NCHRP 350. This transition has a triangular curve with a 45 degree face located just in front of the posts, shown by the circled inset. Again, the blockouts had a rolled hollow section and the vehicle was smoothly redirected as you can see from the photographs on the bottom of the screen. This transition was also tested at Midwest. It had a 2.6 millimeter thry beams that were nested, but it had fewer posts. The thry beams were unsupported for approximately 900 millimeters close to the concrete barrier. It's thought to be an advantage to not have posts close to a concrete barrier and thereby avoiding drainage structures, which are commonly just near the end of the concrete barrier. The vehicle snagged on the concrete barrier, causing extensive vehicle crush. The test failed to meet the requirements of NCHRP 350, test 321. In 2004, Roger Bly at the Texas Transportation Institute, or TTI, tested a similar transition to a Midwest design. The barrier was slightly lower and had a thry beam connected directly to the bridge end that was not vertical. During the impact, the vehicle rolled onto its side. No reason was given for this outcome in the test reports, although the non-vertical bridge end and the lower beam heights could be contributing factors. Post length and soil type can also have a significant effect. The test was considered to have failed NZHRP 350, Test 321. In 2006, Midwest tested a transition with a kerb that successfully met MASH 321. The vehicle was smoothly redirected with similar vehicle damage as was seen in other tests. And you'll also note the similarities in the zones with the number of posts, the post spacings and so on. This transition tested at TTI had steel posts and wood blockouts. Nested 2.67 millimeter thry beams were used. The concrete barrier had a constant slope, although the connecting piece ensured the thry beam was vertical. During the test, the vehicle impacted the end wall, causing excessive occupant compartment intrusion of about 95 millimeters. Following the impact, the vehicle rolled onto its side. Again, no explanation was given in the test reports although the constant slope barrier just beyond the thry beam connector could have been enough to destabilise the vehicle. MASH 321 test failed due to occupant compartment intrusion. The most successful tests to date on a transition without a kerb were the ones conducted by Scott Rosenbach in 2018. Rosenbach conducted two tests. In the first test, the instrumentation failed although the vehicle was satisfactorily redirected. The second test was successful. There are 10 posts at quarter spacing. Six posts close to the concrete barrier were longer. The thry beam close to the concrete barrier were nested. The transition included a 1.9 metre length of thry beam between the W-beam to thry beam connecting plate and the nested thry beams. 
design height of the barrier was 787 millimetres. This slide shows the M-block design used in the second Midwest, te Midwest test. Note that the top surface is sloped 1 on 2 over 610 millimetres, or 1 on 6, and the leading edge is beveled behind the beam and below the beam. Posts and blockouts. The blockouts were cut on an angle from a rolled hollow section. The blockout extended slightly above the top of the thry beam to below the lower bolt. The lower edge of the thry beam was unsupported. Vehicle and barrier damage. The thry beams were not significantly damaged, as you can see in the top left corner photograph. There were minimal scuff marks on the lower edge of the concrete block, shown on the right, top right, and the vehicle suffered moderate damage, which is consistent with other impacts into a transition. To summarise the literature review, a transition needs to manage the stiffness in stages. Posts near the concrete barrier should be longer, there needs to be more of them, and should be closer together at quarter spacing. RHS blockouts perform satisfactorily. Nested thry beams perform satisfactorily, although we had a concern with rust between the nested beams. It is important to manage the snagging on the end block. A satisfactory design can involve a rub rail or a kerb. Just a reminder, send through your questions for the Q&A. Please let us know the slide number your question relates to, if that's possible. The next topic is a description of current transitions used in Australia and New Zealand. The 1999 edition of the Australian New Zealand Standard 3845 included the design of a transition from a W-beam barrier around 720 millimetres high to a concrete barrier. Note there are only two posts at quarter spacing and five posts at half spacing. This design used nested thry beams. This transition, or one very similar, was used in ACT, New South Wales and in Queensland. This design, used in the Northern Territory, has more posts at a quarter spacing. It used a single 3.43mm thry beam as they were concerned about the nested beams rusting out. The New Zealand Transport Agency used an additional length of thry beam and is closest to the mash test design by Rosenberg. The Victorian Department of Transport used transitions with W-beam connections to the bridge. Their design is based on 5 metre rail lengths. From the literature review, the strength of the W-beam connection to the concrete barrier is questionable if mash TL3 is to be met. Current Australian and New Zealand designs vary from Australian state to state and New Zealand. It is agreed that there's value in harmonising and standardising, as Daniel has spoken about. The most common designs which were recorded in the 99 edition of the standard 3845 would not be likely to pass NCHRP 350. The New Zealand and the Northern Territory designs are superior to those in the superseded standard. However, all designs are unlikely to pass MASH. In this section, I'm going to talk about the testing of transitions in this Osroads project. The first test design had a W beam 787 millimetres high and a single 3.4 millimetre thry beam. The six posts close to the concrete barrier were at quarter spacing and were two metres long. The next four posts were at quarter pacing, but were the standard 1.85 metre long posts. Although the two metre length of W-beam upstream of the thry-beam to W-beam connecting element was not in the impact area, other research has shown that these W-beams should be nested. This is shown on the very left hand side of the screen. Changes from the Midwest design. 
The first test used common Australian and New Zealand components. In fact, that was the requirement for the testing. It used metric rail lengths, Charlie C-section posts, a single 3.45mm thigh beam instead of the nested 2.6mm beams, as these were thought to assist maintenance and durability. 150 by 100 by 6mm RHS blockouts were used. Again, this is a metric equivalent because of the American blockouts were not available here. A slightly flatter slope on the upper surface of the end wall was used. This slope was used in some Australian designs and was repeated here. The end block is shown here. Note the bevels on the leading edge and the reinforcement. The end block was designed to take a 360 kN lateral load, which was applicable to a tier of 3 test. Views of the barrier in the first test. Note the closely spaced posts adjacent to the concrete end wall. You'll also notice the critical end point, back point, was a little over two metres from the concrete end block. Outcomes from the first test. The front wheel was detached. The vehicle was redirected, as shown in the, in the views here. But the vehicle gouged the pavement and rolled over five quarter turns before rolling back a quarter turn. Impact variables, occupant impact variables, were within the MASH preferred limits. Vehicle and barrier damage from the first test. There was modest damage to the barrier. There's minor snagging on the concrete end wall. You can see this in the, in the top photographs on the centre and left. The damage on the side of the vehicle was consistent with other transition tests, disregarding the, the effects of the rollover, and the deflected shape was satisfactory. A second test was run, and the changes from the first test involved the use of 100mm universal columns for the posts, the use of slightly wider RHS blockouts, the bitumen surface was removed from behind the post to enable them to move a little easier. Again, the vehicle rolled over after gouging the pavement beyond the impact zone. Osroads contracted Midwest Roadside Safety Facility to peer review the results of the two Australian tests and their successful test. There was an exchange of information including accelerometer data, rate gyro data, soil testing data, deflection measurements, crash test videos and photographs, system details, drawings and test reports. The Midwest report sought reasons for the different crash test outcomes. Here are the crash test videos. The impact angles were similar. Australian tests were slightly faster. Impact angles were almost identical. All vehicles were redirected in a similar fashion. The impact severity was slightly higher in the first Osroads test. Osroads test had higher ORAs or occupant ride down accelerations, but these were still acceptable. Osroads test 1 had the highest lateral ORA, while Osroads test 2 had the highest longitudinal ORA. U occupant impact velocities, OIV, were similar for all three tests. Notice that there was a greater soil movement in the Midwest test. The soil in the Ostrosroves test, however, 
was more consistent with heavily compacted soil near bridges. The exit speeds were within three kilometres per hour of each other, with the Midwest exit speed between the speeds from the Osroads tests. The exit angle in the Midwest test was slightly smaller than the Osroads tests and occurred a little earlier. Vehicle and barrier damage. The first Osroad test had a peak permanent deflections of 120 millimetres compared with 70 to 80 millimetres for the other two tests. Similarly, the peak dynamic deflection was about 60 to 70 millimetres more than the permanent deflection, and this was consistent across all three tests. Apart from the effects of vehicles rolling over, the vehicle damage was very similar. Conclusions from the Midwest Roadside Safety Facility Peer Review. Following a detailed comparison between the results of the Midwest Roadside Safety Facility and the Osroads tests, it was concluded that the major causes of differences were the pavement condition and the post-impact area. This allowed the suspension and bodywork to gouge the pavement, contributing to vehicle instability. Other smaller differences from the metrification of different components may have had a cumulative effect, although it was concluded that there was no obvious reason for the differences in the vehicle's trajectories. I shall now describe the recommended design for transitions between a W-beam and a concrete barrier to be used in Australia and New Zealand. The general layout is the same as in the first test, except that two 2.67mm thrive beams were nested close to the concrete barrier. The height of the beams were the same at 787mm. The number of posts in their spacings were the same, six longer posts at a quarter spacing closest to the concrete barrier, four shorter posts at a quarter spacing and then five posts at half spacing, all based on a metric four metre net laid length. This slide shows the post and block out details. Post 7 to 10 had slightly longer post embedment because of the RHS block out design. These block outs were the same as those used in the second Osroads test. They were slightly wider than the block outs used in the Midwest test as these were not available here. Being slightly wider they reduced the possibility of vehicles impacting the posts. The M-block design is similar to the one tested. I'm not expecting to read all these dimensions, but they are available if you need them. If you download the slides, you'll be able to review the details later. A couple of points to note. The slope on the top of the barrier is steeper, which improves vehicle stability as the vehicle leans on the barrier. The profile is vertical for 1.5 metres, again to improve stability before transitioning to an F-type barrier profile. Note that in the test, the concrete barrier had a vertical face. Here is an isometric sketch of the end block and a transition to an F-type barrier. This may give you a better idea of what the end block looks like. The coloured faces are inclined. This slide shows a transition to a constant slope barrier. The slope on the upper side of the end block is at the same angle as tested in the Midwest design, that is one on six. Note that the constant barrier is higher than the F-type barrier. The critical dimensions that should not be altered are the slope on the upper face, shown by the dark red element, it is 102 millimetres over 610 millimetres. The bevel in the lower surface should be 115 millimetres over 457 millimetres. And finally, the distance from the end of the concrete end block to the centre of the first post should be 200 millimetres.
And with that, I thank you for listening. Okay, thanks everyone uh, for watching. I'm just sharing my screen. Um, yeah, thanks everybody for preparing this uh, presentation and we are back for um, our Q&A. Um, so Jade, over to you. Thanks, Ekaterina. Well, I'm pretty proud of the project team because I think we hovered at over 240 participants the whole time and we didn't get too many questions. So I said to Rod um, just before we came back on that it must be because he explained everything extremely clearly to you all. Um, but we, we do have some questions and we will go through them. Um, again, if we don't get through all the questions, you can, um, we will take them on board and provide answers in writing if necessary, because there's quite a few just popping through again now. Um, otherwise, also if they're very technical in nature, we'll provide a written response. Okay, I might answer the first question, which is, I scroll up. What are your opinions on upgrading existing bridges to have compliant bridge barrier transitions? Um, so I guess, the, you know, the opinion at just face value would be, yeah, we should be looking to do that. But obviously we know at jurisdictional level there's funding um, and lots of other program requirements that come into that. So I would suggest, um, and I would hope at Transport for New South Wales, so in my road agency, that it would come under programs where we were upgrading roads in the vicinity of those that we would look to, to provide that proposed transition. Um, again, it would depend on what's there. Um, we have some that literally almost have no transition. So those would be ones we would definitely look to do. Um, others that maybe had the previous incarnation, you know, maybe, you know, it'd be on a case by case basis. But again, um, yeah, that'd be great. And we should look to do that, but it's really jurisdictional based um, and very much probably reliant on funding of projects. The next question I might ask Rod to answer, um, what is the recommendation for transitions from concrete to steel? So should we mirror image this transition? Well, I don't think it's necessary to, when you're going from a stiff barrier to a, to a less stiff one, as you would be from concrete to steel. But you might like to, to do, use some components of it just to make it look a little bit more symmetrical. And of course, you could only do this on, on a road, a carriageway, with traffic going in the one direction. Thank you, Rod. The next question is probably also for you, Rod. What consideration has been given to fitting a motorcyclist protection rub rail? Well, it wasn't tested with a rub rail, but there's there's actually no significant reason why a rub rail couldn't be fitted underneath there. Um, so, I mean, that that might be uh, might be a consideration. It, it's the rub rail is not going to add to the stiffness of the system, and even if it did, it's not going to have a, a significant effect. And as as well as that, it would be a protection for motorcyclists. So, I think we've got to turn things around more than we have done in the past and think about motorcyclists first and then and then look at ways that perhaps is a personal opinion and perhaps you might think about well what what sites are they perhaps um, uh, less of an issue because of, of the lower numbers but in more more times than not think about motorcyclists in your first design not in your second design if you like thanks rod the next question is, I wonder how much these transition arrangements cost in total. So I guess um, this hasn't particularly been costed by industry and I'm assuming we have many industry representatives listening to the webinar right now who may have had an inkling on what we were going to present but haven't formally been provided that. Um, so they will need to cost that accordingly. In saying that, we don't anticipate it to be a huge increase over the current transition and dependent on um, how much how many operators choose to supply it i guess comes into that as well but yeah we don't have a solid answer for that but we don't anticipate it being a huge amount more the next question is can you comment on when you expect this to be implemented by the road authority so i knew we'd get this question um, so this project has been, um, as Daniel mentioned in his presentation, been around since about 2018. 
Um, since that time, the road agencies have been feverishly in the background thinking about how we implement this once we have an outcome. And this webinar was part of the final outcome process. Uh, we have created standard drawings that the road agencies have been provided to start their implementation. Um, so I can't say or talk to all the other states, but I would hope uh, you know, in the next few months that Transport for New South Wales would implement this design. Uh, but yes, all the agencies have been given the standard drawings and it is the intent that they would all, that they all see this as an improvement to any of their current designs and that they would be taking it on board. Okay. So this is probably for you, Rod. What impact did, did soil stiffness have? Too stiff and the posts may shear, not stiff enough and the posts may deflect too much. Because the soil was very stiff, it just meant that the post didn't move very much in the, in the material. And so therefore the rotation of the post was almost, well, it didn't rotate, it just, just folded, if you like, to a degree at the grade. But what you would rather see is the post rotate in the ground and, uh, and give a more uniform, a more uniform profile afterwards. Now, by having the post rotate at grade, means that the, the, the beam is actually rolled over a little bit and therefore it, um, it just makes the, the trajectory, if you like, or the outcome a little worse. So whilst um, we didn't see it as being a Nordic uh, Midwest sort of being a particularly bad problem, it, it was nevertheless a change in the way the post uh, functioned. I should actually mention that uh, the, the soil test requirements for MASH don't have an upper limit of stiffness. So if you like, this, these soils were compliant to MASH, but so were the, the softer soils that you saw in the Midwest test also compliant. Thanks, Rod. Question is, when will the detailed drawings be available so that it can be costed by industry? So great question and we will do so uh, shortly. So thank you for that. So dear team, how does Osroads believe that proprietary barrier product owners should approach gaining successful connection to the transition design? So I knew this one would also come up. Uh, so what the panel or ASBAT would expect um, is that there is a variation submitted through the portal to connect to this design. Now, obviously, if you want to go crash test, we love seeing crash tests, so we'd be more than happy for you to do so, but we don't expect that any of it, anybody will be doing that. But we would expect as an absolute minimum that you're providing some sort of engineering commentary on any differences in height, shape, stiffness um, between your system and the connection to the transition. So that would be as a minimum what we'd expect. Now, whether you'd wanna use FEA or any, any other tools that you have, that's up to you individually, but at minimum that engineering justification submitted through the online portal. Okay, we did have a lot come through. It's hard to go through them, wow. Um, someone asked, could you post all the questions online? So my understanding is, Ekaterina, are you there? Do we, the ones we're answering live, do they, they'll be part of the recording? And we um, will provide written responses to any we don't get to? Well, the usual format is that we provide written responses to the questions that we didn't get to, but if there is a need to have all of the questions, uh, the answers, answered ones in the Q&A sheet as well, so we can do that, that's not a problem, but they're definitely in the recording, so you can always go okay. back and re-watch it. And listen to it, okay, perfect. I think that's fine, beautiful. Mm. Okay. Yep, so we did that one. Okay. Okay, Rod, this one's for you. Um, would you please provide more information about the mechanical properties of the concrete block? Is it just normal strength concrete? Interesting question. Um, what we asked the uh, crash lab to do was to construct the, the concrete block withstand a 360 kilonewton <coughs> lateral load. So we didn't actually specify the concrete, we specified the load that it should take. And the load that, that 360 kilonewtons was, we believe, well, and has been shown to be sufficient for these sorts of tests. 
in uh, in the second test, uh, there was some movement of the concrete block, but there was no cracking of the concrete block. The second test obviously had the had the um, impact of both tests on it, so it was um, stressed the most, but there was no cracking of the concrete block. Thanks, Rod. So someone asked, when are the state road authorities looking to adopt the design? Should we use the current approved designs in the meantime? So that um, I sort of partially answered that question before, which is, you know, everyone's working feverishly in the background at road agency level to get this design published and recommended. But yes, in the meantime, you still would be using whatever road agency area you're working in, what their current standard is. So somebody asked specifically in, um, Transport for New South Wales, our connection is published uh, on our standard drawings on our webpage, and that would still be the current design mm -hmm. until we get the new one published shortly. I see a question okay. here that I'd like to answer. Um, Perfect, go for it, Rod. Important one, and it reads on slide 61, I spoke of the post separation from the, from the barrier it being sort of a critical element. In the design criteria for bridges and other structures shows a detail of dropping the first post for the barrier conduit egress. I assume this is not acceptable based on the research. Now that was a, a really an important part of it. That was one of the important characteristics that was um, um, we felt must be used. The um, Midwest testing had demonstrated that that was critical. And so what we've done is to maintain that as being as a, a critical element and in that sense shouldn't be changed. You might remember from the presentation I showed a, um, I don't know which slide it is unfortunately to go back to it, but I showed a slide of um, where the posts have been omitted and all you do is you just get more chance of hitting the end block and not being able to be redirected and therefore you, the chances of being successful fail um, value. So if you like, I think it's a very important thing. I don't think we should be uh, um, changing that and leaving out the first post. Thanks, Rod. Next question, probably for you as well. What is the consideration for a heavier vehicle crash with the transition piece? Specifically, I referred to the standard approach to bridge barriers, which are higher performance. Do TL3 containment level transitions present a hazard? Um, it's always a problem when you when you've got a change of, of um, test level requirements for, for you know barriers or bridges to barriers and so on because obviously the bridge has got a higher level of containment than what we normally have on most approaches to bridges as you would have if you've got a TL4 system and you have got a, you've only got TL3 uh, transitions or terminals you've got exactly the same problem and basically what we're saying is what you is that um, you know that you're getting good performance out of the bridge. The fact you're not getting quite as good performance out of, out of the path leading up to the bridge is, is a risk. But at this stage, there's not much we can do about it because we haven't got any TL4 transitions. There's no TL4 transitions from steel to concrete, as there are no TL4 terminals. So, you know, we, we are faced with that problem over and over again, that just what do we do? And in fact, it's just a risk of the road authorities and everybody must take when we've got lesser performance in one section than we have in other sections. Thanks, Rod. Has there been much research into how much verge material is required behind the post to perform as the test? Because this is usually located on an embankment. Uh, that's a good question. Um, we do know a little bit about the stiffness of, of, the, of the posts under impact. So uh, you, could, you could check to see what posts were there, but, but by and large, we're expecting that there would be a reasonable amount of material behind it. What ASBAP has said in the past for, for uh, barriers on near, near embankments is that we'd like a metre between the front of the base of the barrier and the hinge point. So responsibly you'd say you'd like to have about the same on, on in this case here thank you rod uh, confirming the angle of the test the impact angle 
25 degrees? 25 degrees. Yeah, no problem. It was a standard uh, 321 test. Okay. Are the transitions tested applicable to all speed environments? Well, it is a TL3 test, so therefore it's applicable for conditions that warrant TL3 testing. But, and, and mostly with bridges, you, you, would, you, you could perhaps um, pare it down if you wanted a TL2 system, but I don't think that's particularly likely. Uh, I, I suggest that you would use this under all test conditions. If you wanted to have a system which didn't have this sort of arrangement, then the idea would be to put in a different sort of bridge parapet, a bridge rail, and maybe one that's constructed out of a steel section rather than a concrete section, so that you, you make the stiffness across the bridge and, and approaching the bridge more consistent. But that's just that's a question for road authorities, not a question for me to answer. Next question is around the public domain guardrail component. So what about the actual W-beam past the transition? Will it pass MASH conditions? Okay, so we've, we're assuming that, and based on tests that have been like the, the Midwest test, that the W-beam will be okay upstream of the W to Thrive connecting piece. So if you like, we're, um, and this is a question more for the road authority, so it's more for us at this stage, your ASBAP, Jade. But my belief is that we can accept the W-beam as being acceptable, and then we would be looking perhaps at um, people connecting into that W-beam. So we're not saying to people, you need to establish, you, you need to establish your connection to the W-beam we, 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 the way I see it, and again, uh, being careful here to to because um, it's not it's not my decision; it's ASBAP's decision. But what we do beyond the first little bit of W beam into the W to Thry and so on, that that's that's part of the the transition. And Thank that's you. part of the project. I'm just flicking through. We have a fair few questions that have come through. So I just want to. Will the cast in anchor detail be provided for the connection to the concrete? Will the, cast, will the, will the end block details be, be provided? Yeah, and then how you connect it to the concrete. So that car, that last yes. connector piece. Yes. It's how you connect it to the concrete will be provided, but I have not provided any construction details for the end block. I mean, that's that to me is a matter of the, the bridge people deciding on what they want to have at that part. All we've said is this is a connection that you make. It's really the ferrules in the, in the concrete um, end block and how that connects to the thriving. Someone has asked about development of a surface mount variant. It wasn't part of this project. Um, Rod, do you have any comments on? No, it wasn't part of the project. Do you have any ideas on what you would expect or you would think performance would be on a surface mount? I suppose that um, anything's possible, anything can be engineered. And so therefore, um, you can't say out of hand that it's not, not possible. Um, we wouldn't, you would need to have a close look at it. And I, and I guess that would be a, a decision of ASBAP to decide on whether it's, that's a worthwhile thing to do, a worthwhile thing to, to assess and accept. Okay, I'm just, given that we are fast running out of time, there are a lot of questions that are similar, so I'll just try and out the post. We've got a lot of surface mount type questions, so people are interested in that. Um, people have asked if we're going to allow some of the more detailed 
potentially, I think they're referring to the reports, the crash test reports and videos being made available. That's not really the intent, um, but those that asked, if you would like to contact me as the chair directly, we can talk about what detail you were interested in. Okay. People are saying, is there an easy way to retrofit this to other transitions? And I'd suggest probably not. That's, uh, and, and there's so many variations, not just across the states and New Zealand, but even if I look in New South Wales of how transitions to bridge barriers or to concrete have been done. So I suggest that answer is no, probably not. And we're not likely to then give, therefore Osroads is probably stuck in not being able to give advice on how you might do that because there's just too many variations to possibly consider. That would really need to be an engineered solution at project level at the road agency. We've got some questions around bridge barriers and how this project did or didn't consider any AS5100 requirements? Um, you know, well, the 5100 requirements as, as, uh, as I see it, and I guess we sort of even made this decision when we were looking at uh, standard 3845, is where is the, where does 3845 stop and where does AS5100 start? Where does the roadside barrier stop and where does the bridge barrier start? And um, at that stage, it was considered uh, that the roadside barriers end at the end post, if you like, and then the connection to it. So um, it's, it's from there on, it's a bridge barrier. From that connection back, it's a road barrier. So the transition is considered to be a road barrier. There is a question here which might be useful too, was um, in slide 54, which says a combination of 3.4 and nested 2.67 millimeter um, beams were used. Could it not be avoided and continue 3.4 millimeter all the way? Um, what we found was that uh, we, we virtually, we first tried the two tests we tried we were 3.4 millimeter um, material. And what we found was that, that, that a single beam of, of uh, 3.4 millimeters or, or, or 10 gauge um, thry beams has slightly less, less strength than two nested 12 gauge, 2.67 millimeter beams. And uh, we felt that that was, that was something which we, we could improve on so even though we wanted to have a system that only used um, 3.4 millimetre beams, we do have to use a 2.67 millimetre thry beams in a nested condition to get the strength. So really you can't, um, um, can't change that, but, but the question could also refer to, there's a small section of 3.4 millimetre thry beam between the two nested systems. Why? not have a 3.4 all the way through or two points. Well, really it's um, why change there. At, the, at the, the connection between those two, that's a single 3.4 and the two nested 2.67, you've got three levels of three sections of, of um, thry beam. And that just makes the connection very, very difficult. So we wouldn't want four. So that's, what, that's the reason why there was a change. Thank you, Rod. Now we're actually right at the end of our time. So again, as we mentioned, there are more questions. Um, thank you to everyone for that. We will attempt to answer those in writing and Ekaterina will make them available. So thank you to everyone. Thanks so much, Jade, and uh, thanks so much, Rod. Um, such a great Q&A and thanks to our audience for um, your questions. Yes, we have a few left and we will answer them in writing and email you the copy of the response after the session. Um, so, uh, before we wrap up, a few words um, about our webinar schedule in 2021. As you can see, we have uh, quite a variety of uh, different sessions. Um, there is a series of webinars on updated pedestrian planning and design, um, sessions on uh, raised safety platforms, public transport prioritization, and many others. So if these sessions are not in your calendar yet, please visit our website for more information and to register. 
Um, and as usual, when we close out today's session, uh, a questionnaire will pop up on your screen. So please take a few minutes to fill it in and, and uh, let us know what you think about the session, what you liked, what you didn't like. It usually helps us. Um, we read it all um, and um, it's really good for us to shape our future webinar program. So thanks again, everyone. Um, thanks, Rod and Jane. and. Um, everyone in the audience and stay well and safe and um, enjoy the rest of you and hopefully we will see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks.